So welcome to a podcast with me again, if you don't want to hear just of me, about me, or <laughs> from me, then tune out now and wait for a guest next week. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this one today. I thought I'd talk about injuries, yoga and injuries and yoga. Well, yoga, when you come to a crisis point generally, but often that crisis point is defined by some kind of injury or difficulty with practice. Um, and it's kind of opposite. And I wanted to say it now, obviously, because, well, not obviously, maybe you know, maybe you don't, that we've got our injuries conference. Well, injuries and healing, let's make it a little bit more positive. Injuries, healing and uh, and general discussion about uh, yoga-related uh um, injuries and well even surgery I mean as I told you before maybe I had two surgeries on my knees when I was in my 20s and meniscus the obvious one that many people have had and uh, well I think at one point or another I have to be honest and say there might be a hip there might be a hip involved maybe 10 years down the line but now for now it's still working roughly but uh, you know and I don't blame it on yoga I mean I think the thing is and uh, before we get further into this that um we come to yoga with all different problems in our bodies and we're trying to fix them, you know? So yoga is great. Don't get me wrong. I think it can often seem like I'm, I'm you know, criticizing the yoga practice or Ashtanga practice, or, but I'm not, you know? I mean, it's been great for me. It's helped me, you know, it's, it's helped me incredibly, um, physically as well as mentally. You know? um, mainly, I always say mentally for me, you know, I got into it for, for problems with depression, anxiety, but, but also physically, I think it really helped me. Um, it's always hard to say because I was 19 when I got into it and, uh, you know, I don't have a, a me that didn't do it, but it didn't wreck my hip. I mean, my hip's not wrecked yet, but <laughs> didn't wreck my knees. Well, it did wreck my knees actually, you know, but that was me forcing it, you know. So it's a combination of us, our genetics, and then the yoga and how we approach it. So it's not the yoga itself, as you well know, it's really the approach to it and uh, what we bring to it, you know, if the body is disaligned or, or not in harmony, which is the case for all our bodies, as soon as you do something and move it, you're putting it in risk. You're trying to strengthen it. You're trying to rebalance it, let's say, or make it, you know, some way um, increase your mobility or, you know, make it more comfortable experience to live in your body. But, you know, nevertheless, you're going to, by doing so, you're going to incur some little setbacks here or there. Hopefully not great. If you listen to your body, perhaps more than I did in my youth, but if you're able to listen to your body more and, uh, and, and accept certain limitations, I think, because that's... Anyway, let's save that for a second and just tell you about the conference, right? The conference is... I think in the early Februarys, you could look it up on the website. It's on www.keenonyoga.com. Um, and it's featuring a great host of specially chosen panelists, Celeste Pereira, David Keel, Kyle, um, Dave Christensen, uh, uh, Dr. Rob of Yoga Anatomy. Uh, just to, off the top of my head, those are a few. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a fantastic, fantastic conversation. I think much needed in the yoga world because I think without it, there's this sense that Perhaps yoga is injuring us, or perhaps yoga is unsafe, right? And it's not, that's not the message here. The message is, whatever modality you do for a long term, it's going to include some complications or setbacks for you, whether it's running or swimming even, or, you know, I don't know, knitting, you know? <laughs> going to get some kind of RSI in your, you know, your, your, what is it, your fingers and your wrists. Anyways, you know what I mean. You're going to have some difficulties and what do you do i mean i suppose today was more you know i'm not an expert anatomical expert as you well know i know a little bit about anatomy but not very much to be honest so i'm going to leave that for the panelists that i've specially selected who are uh, 
experts in that field, but I'm going to talk about my own journey, which is much more interesting, really, you know, because you want to hear what someone's done who practiced for 25 years and incurred some injuries. And I think I've had, I mean, like, like any Ashtanga practitioner will tell you, I've almost had every part of my body at some point has incurred some injury. So, you know, basically, you could say that I've healed from injury because having injured every part of my body, I've also probably strengthened it because I no longer have most of those injuries. So, Again, the message is that yoga does heal, but, you know, in healing, you inevitably have a healing crisis. And there's been a number of points in my life where I have definitely entered into a crisis of uh, a confidence, actually, with the yoga. You know, when you get injured, it does take away your confidence. You doubt it. You doubt the practice. Um, and you're not really sure whether perhaps you're doing it wrong or whether perhaps, you know, people often say, well, the practice is not really for me. You know, the practice doesn't suit my, my hips or my, uh, you know, my... my weakness in my shoulders or but whatever whatever it is you're, you're dealing with right or even simply it burns you out yeah well the first obvious thing which you've heard from me time and time again is it's a blueprint it's not to be taken literally which is not you know i mean you know, imagine taking the bible literally god built the the world in seven days and you know he created whatever on this day and this on this day you know it's a metaphor right and the same with the Ashtanga. It's not meant to be taken literally, right? You look at our hips. Look at someone's hip, uh, their, their lotus if their knees are in the air when they sit cross-legged. They're not going to be doing the primary series in the way that the way that it's done in Mysore, right? That's the, you know, when we look at Mysore, you know, and Mysore, the place where it originates, and Mysore, where the place where people still go practice with Shirachi. When you look at those people, right? They're not the general run-of-the-mill people. Let's look at the firstly. Let's question that, right? This is the 0.01 percentage of people that are able to do the practice that generally go there. Of course, it's self-selecting, right? So it gives this full sense of what people can do, what bodies can do, yeah? Because those one, that's 0.1% of people, they're there representing Ashtanga. They're there seemingly doing it, and they're the ones that are able, right? And if you read or you know listen to the podcast of someone like Bernie Clark, and read the books, you know the Your Yoga Your Body books trilogy is a fantastic read. Um, even if you don't understand it, even if you, and I hardly understand any of it to be honest. Very, I mean, you know, the first bits are uh, less anatomical, you know, more for a regular person. Then it gets really anatomical if you really like that. But anyway. What you see there, even if you don't understand it all, is the amount of difference. If you know, if you look at the science, the amount of difference between the way the bodies are structured, the pelvis, the, if the length of the pelvis, the way the femur articulates in the acetabulum, I believe, <laughs> the, the hip joint, <laughs> the shape of the femur, the torsion, the bone, the way the bone, the femur bone twists, yeah, and the way that that then affects the knee because if there's different twists of the uh, femur they attach to the knee the patella and that creates an angle so then if you have certain angles it's more like to increase knee problems and then that's you've got to read the books that the, the anatomical variation is intense is incredible and we cannot just treat the body as one thing you know there's just to apply the Ashtanga practice as a blueprint to an individual body will hurt anyone almost. Even those people in my sort that are seemingly able to do it, you know, even them, if they don't adapt the practice to suit their specific bodies, they'll run into danger sooner or later, you know, probably injury. I don't know. And for my part, I don't mind sharing to you that, you know, most of the people I used to talk to in my sort were some form of fashion injured. And, you know, as I said, it's not that we need to blame ourselves for the injury or blame the practice for the injury. It, do, moving our bodies and doing anything for the long period is going to incur some difficulties, but there's ways and means, isn't there? There's ways to minimize the amount of injury you suffer, or you can maximize it just by 
doing the postures that you feel you're meant to do in a kind of unthinking manner right so you just think well that's the posture i used to think this myself that's the posture do the posture make the shape and you've done the series or you've done that posture move on to the next you've accomplished that and you know well i guess it's a whole change of attitude really because what we're looking at is a feeling in the body right and once you get the feeling in the body the posture and the visible shape of the posture doesn't matter so much and even the series is right because there's this feeling like well you know if i do that posture mary chasana d then i can move on to navasana if i do kapatasana then i can you know it's never ending honestly it's never ending so forget it just forget why don't you just let the chasing the postures drop right now because there's always going to be posture that if you approach it in that way you're going to be stuck on right so I never look at it that way in the first place. First and foremost, what I do with the series is, is say, make the rough, and this is my perspective anyway, just talking about the general 1% of people that, you know, they actually they are doing Ashtanga and how we get this false sense of, or, that, that anybody can do it and how intense it is, you know, and how going back to that person, that guy, and generally, you know, I say it's a guy, but it could be a woman, stiff knees, sitting up in cross legs, their knees by the ears, and, you know, they're not going to do a lotus. Well, should they have a five or ten minute practice because they can't do any of the stuff, you know? No, you make it applicable to them, yeah? You give them the whole practice. You take out the ones that are hard, that are completely inaccessible for a while, maybe. You just, it's like, you know, imagine a drawing and you make a rough outline of the shape. You make the rough outline of the sketch, you know, like a, you know, uh, or a landscape or whatever. And you gradually fill in the colors and fill in the details after it. That's how I approach it, right? Rather than kind of like you make your first line, you think, well, that's rubbish. The person just has to keep making that first line until they get it perfectly. And they never, never get the beauty of the painting. Never get the beauty of the painting. Never get the detail. Never move on or develop that first line because they haven't got access to using the brush more. They're generally using their brush, you know. And that's what we need, you know. I mean, you, in a way, you can't teach anyone anything because the experience of being and moving the body is so personal. You can't be inside someone's body. So in which case, you know, we just need more time using the brush, holding the brush. And I kind of believe with a sensible attitude helped with the teacher, you know, the way they, they, they talk to you and the way that they handle the group and the way they encourage the group. Are they stopping people? Are they, have they got their, their uh, favorites that they're praising? And, you know, right. Is there that kind of dynamic going on? Right. Um, if there's not, then it encourages this different attitude to the way you hold your own body. I think, you know, and a lot of it's to do with the teacher and how they encourage you to do it. Um, and then you're going to just use the brush, yeah, use the brush, get interested in it, get enthused in it. And if you're stopping people and criticizing people, you know, you know, it's going to put people off painting. Right. So I say it's not I don't think this is non-traditional. This, I believe, is the way that Patabi Joyce used to teach people that came to his doorstep that didn't have the flexibility and the ability. Yeah. I mean, if you look at someone like Nancy Gilgoff, who came, you know, well-known, not being well. You know, she had migraines, uh, severe migraines. So she was taught differently. She was taught the whole primary and second series with the difficult ones left out. And, you know, being held, she used to say, Patabi Joyce held me in every shape, in every posture. And then gradually she built the strength. She built the ability and she started to fill in the blanks, yeah, fill in the detail, fill in the colors, right? That's how it's more sensible to do it. You stay motivated. Well, you don't. The student stays motivated. You stay um engaged in your body because you've got more time to think you know you've got more movements to in, to to engage the body with right you're not stuck on just a surinamaskar a and i see this i know it sounds crazy but i see this i go into studios and someone's been given a half an hour practice because they can't do a lotus well that's never going to help their lotus you know especially as we know anatomically nowadays if you look at you know just look at the science as they say if you look at the people's anatomy if you actually read the books some people anatomically will never do a lotus many many people in fact you know and 
And just because the 0.1% of people in the class are self-selecting and happen to be good at, you know, it seems to show that everyone, if they just try hard enough, will do the stuff. Not true. Yeah? That's not true, right? If you, you know, hard work is part of it, yeah? You know, we all know that, you know, the yoga experts of the world, I don't need to name any names, you know, um, they make it seem like it's just hard work. And if you have the devotion, they say, if you just, if you just commit enough to the practice, if you just surrender, all these kind of talk, it's a rubbish, you know? I mean, yes, I'm not denying that they put the work in, they spent hours a day on the mat, and they practice come rain or shine, you know? Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But anyways, they put the work in. But also they had the natural ability. You have to have both, right? You can't just have one. You have to have that, that natural range of motion in the hips, for example, for the lotus, in the way that the knee articulates. So it's a, a strong joint, for example, with, uh, with putting the lotus in, you know, in the shoulders, everything, you know, with the jump back, for example. I mean, now it's coming to light. There's five different uh, positions of the scapula, the, the shoulder blades. So I'm imagining that one of those positions gives you a great jump back like David Swenson. And another one of those scapular positions, you know, which you're born with, right, will never, never allow you to jump back. So, first of all, let yourself off the hook and don't think just because someone next to you can do it that you should also be, your body should also be able to do it and that, well, you know, you're not good enough or that if you just push hard enough or you've just, you just surrender your ego enough that then you'll be able to do it. Not true. That's just a myth. That's a myth and uh, a very unfortunate one because it encourages so many injuries. So, I can't talk, as I said, about anatomical healing, but I can talk about ways and attitudes and means to avoid avoid injury as much as possible right because when you've got an injury that well you know that's a different subject and we'll come to that a little bit at the end but first of all let's just look at preventative you know and and that's an attitude and approach try thinking about the feeling in the body rather than accomplishing the posture you know and if you can't you know if the posture doesn't flow naturally and you're pulling and pushing at the body, that's a sign that the body's not ready. That doesn't mean you'll never be ready for it. It's just, you know, the whole thing takes time. And I guess one of the things with modern culture, everyone knows, you know, everyone says this all the time, is that the, the, it's so quick. So you think, well, you know, in a year's time, I should be able to do primary. I had this teacher that had this belief that, you know, it would take two years to do primary and then I could do another two years to take second. And well, he got stuck at second, but, you know, he kind of had this whole roadmap, roadmap laid out for him you know but it doesn't work like that you know you could be finessing primary and intermediate all your life you know i mean they're very very advanced postures and you know it doesn't take me to tell you again that you know krishnamacharya made these up for young teenagers well you know 12 to 17 year old boys they were brahmin boys right it was the boys practicing well that was a kind of a time and place but you know you don't need to worry about that but mainly they were they were boys you know you know an asian an asian body as well i would say is more flexible you know and it's not racist it's more flexible than a than a caucasian body just look around you you know Maybe not nowadays with the diets that are coming into the East as well and with the stress levels and with the, you know, the pace of life that's, that's quickening. But certainly it was, you know, you look at these boys and any boy doing gymnastics, you know, even a probably a, well, you know, a white Caucasian boy is going to have more ability than a 45 year old like me, man, you know, who's been subject to all kinds of things, you know. What I'm saying is that the practice is in the first place designed around a young body and we never should forget that. So if your body isn't moving, well, yes, I mean, that's not surprising if your body isn't able to do the lotus or able to grab your heels in a backbend. This is a false precedent. Yeah, This is a not a natural way that the body moves. It's something which has 
built for young boys and doesn't mean we can't do it doesn't mean that we don't like dynamism doesn't mean the sequences aren't quite good i mean i haven't got a better idea so i stick to the sequences they they, they work okay they're built the vine- the idea of vinyasa crammer the building up of the sequence that works all right you know it's not you know it's not perfect probably but it's you know it'll do the job but a lot of the lotus stuff let's say we probably need to modify for many people so well i'll contradict myself there straight away and say well actually a lot of that lotus stuff is inappropriate for the western body as it stands right it needs to be modified and just break the knees you know i mean i i would say like 30 40 percent of people tear their knees doing doing uh doing yoga you know probably 20 percent of them are doing ashtanga yoga right because this idea that the primary series is a blueprint that if you just push hard enough you can do it you know it's a mind of this idea of mind over matter or you used to hear no pain no gain yeah but it doesn't work like that you know Take your time, and I think the two series is as well. I've always been a believer that the two series kind of go together, and they, they forget the advanced one. That doesn't matter, the advanced one. But but the one and the two, you know, the forward folds, and then the other postures, and the second that are that are more to do with extension, back extensions, and more open shapes, and varied, much more varied than the primary series. Let's say, I think they go nicely together. Or at least they give a more varied amount of movement than just the primary series, right? Which is perhaps you could say uh, not particularly balanced as a spectrum of movement considering all the possible movements that a body can do yeah so it doesn't matter if you can't do them all i have this uh, course out not to, you know, to sell more to you but i have a course out on on the website actually called uh, the essence of the second series or something like that where i kind of show with uh, with a whole group of people that you can modify the intermediate series to suit it to your own body and get the essence of the postures behind you whether you can do the actual perfect shape as it said doesn't matter you can still get the kind of feelings in the shape whether you're doing it to degree one or degree ten yeah it's just uh, imagine the foundations or the, the you know the roots of a plant you can get the roots everyone can get the roots of any posture and then what happens at the trees the leaves the branches etc well those are for the you know depending on a lot of it's depending on genetic predisposition but you know everyone can get the roots and what I suggest when I'm talking about the feeling in the posture coming back to that is a feeling of balance. Once you get the feeling of balancing opposing forces in the body, then I think you don't really need the posture so much anymore, more postures. And until then, you need more and more postures because never satisfied. Yeah? And you're making shapes and you're trying to, you know, in the end of the day, I, I'd say most of us, you know, look at other people and compare ourselves to other people as to how we're doing. I mean, we just, you know, it's not, it's not that we're to say that we're inherently competitive or, you know, inherently judgmental it's just you know, it's just the way we function you know you just think well they can do it i should be able to do that you know at least that you know if not more you know if you're a man especially a man like me you say well if they can do that i'll do this you know? <laughs> so but but once you get the feeling in the posture you stop you know you stop treating the yoga like that in a way you know i mean there's a you know there's many ways in life that we can compete and do all that stuff and whether it's good or bad that's another thing you know the uh, material world kind of forces us into that into that kind of mentality anyway but yoga doesn't have to be one of them yeah you know? yoga we can reserve to to get the feeling in the body to get the feeling of ourselves and that feeling is balance right so what do i mean by that and this is the basic and the basic uh, bottom line of this whole podcast if you haven't listened to anything else maybe listen to this part so if you push yourself in one direction only you're pushing yourself into a passive stretch right so so all of the teacher is uh, manipulating your body right and you can't do it and they're pushing you or pulling your leg into lotus or something like that or pulling your arm around your to wrap around your knee whatever you know pushing you into a back bend yeah. that's a passive stretch because you're not doing it and it's not involving the muscle group around the joint no the muscle group that's mobilizing the joint is it's using the joint itself so it's creating more flexibility around that joint itself which means that you're developing essentially a loose joint which is a weak joint right so if you're passive stretching you know that says that is essentially to 
bottom line to weaken the body. Doesn't mean you don't need a little bit of passive stretching. If you're stretching out of yourself in any direction, you've done some kind of form of passive stretch, right? But then when you're roughly making the posture, you're trying to mobilize a muscle group, a whole group. So you're trying to keep the joint firmer rather than pushing and making the joint more flexible. Right? And keeping the joint firm, like the shoulders in their joints, let's say, I mean, it's a broad term, it's an ambiguous term, right? But the, the shoulders in their joints rather than pulling the shoulders back, yeah? That kind of thing, right? Not rather than, and that's the most obvious thing to do with the shoulders because you can even pull the shoulders back and you feel the, the kind of stretch across your chest, you feel it in the shoulder, and you think, well, that must be a good thing, it feels okay, it feels quite nice, actually, you know? But, you know, that's not necessarily a marker of what feels, or what is ultimately good for the shoulder keep the shoulder in its joint, keep the body tight. You need more stability than flexibility. In fact, what you need is mobility. Forget flexibility. What you want is to mobilize the muscles around the joint. What you have around a joint is an agonist, a muscle that does one thing, and an antagonist, a muscle that counters that action. So bicep, tricep kind of thing, right? So you've got that in every muscle group, right? If the trapezius is doing one thing, then the lats and serratus will be doing another thing. And you want to use those muscles against each other. Yeah? So it's not about getting more flexible or getting your body pushed into a further shape. It's about using the muscles you have in a skillful and balanced way. That means that the force will force one way is balanced in a force the other way. So if you push out of yourself, you pull back towards yourself. If you stretch up, you're also countering it by pulling back and stretching down. You've got to balance around the muscle group. And that's, you know, that also feels good for the mind. So if, you know, if we're doing anything to to do with meditation whatsoever, which is a whole other subject. Well, we're trying to balance the body, the forces in the body, then to balance the mind. You know, we're constantly stretching out of ourselves in one way only. What we're doing is just overstimulating the body. We're just, you know, we're looking for progress and stimulation, and that's well, you know, nothing to do with yoga philosophy there. But if we try to balance the shape so we get into a kind of equanimous, a kind of neutral feeling in the body, well, that's got to have a different effect on the mind, surely. So then we could really call it a moving meditation rather than being pushed into every posture further than our limits and seeking further material accomplishment down the road as if we could have something added to our state, right? The whole point is when you're balancing the forces, whatever the shape is, it's going to be enough for you. Right? You're going to feel enough, you know? And that's the, you know, that's the idea of yoga, isn't it? We're adding something to our state, showing us that our state is already adequate as it is. Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess, the, the bottom line of a lot of injury is that we feel inadequate, uh, the inadequacy. And there's often, you know, I mean, the precedent, you know, can be, not, not always, but can be set up by the teacher in the room, suggesting that the person isn't far enough in the posture, that they, the adjustment, even if, it, if they, even if they don't mean it, by adjusting a person, by pushing them, gives the precedent that perhaps they haven't done well enough if they push further themselves or if they help you to push further their body that they'll be ultimately enough right you know we're the other day we're, we're raw emotional underneath everything aren't we we feel this in, in kind of inherent innate sense of inadequacy if we could just add something to our state if we could just accomplish more postures in the body then we'll be better we'll be enough to the teacher's eyes will be enough in our eyes and the classroom's eyes you know yeah you know, maybe you don't feel that but i certainly did anyway so a lot of the, the this 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 injury is coming from a the attitude that is encouraged in the room, I think, and is encouraged in the student and encouraged on Instagram that, you know, if you just push hard enough, surrender hard enough, uh, get out of your, your your comfort zone enough, right? Challenge yourself. This is the, often what people say in reply to my comments. But yoga should be challenging ourselves, right? Why? You know, isn't life challenging enough? Shouldn't yoga be comfortable? Why do you want to be challenged in the first place? Why, is you not enough already? Do you need to add something to your state? That you're, you need to challenge yourself to be better? 
that's the rhetoric around it. We need to be challenged because we're not good enough. We're not pure enough, right? We need to purge the impurities. So there's, there's nothing impure in you. Only the thought of being impure is the impurity itself. Yeah? You're ready enough. You just need to come back to that message. So things about injury, okay? Moving on to the more practical state. Injury, and I've been injured in, as I said, everywhere. I can imagine the body from the toe, literally from a toe to the finger. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, a, a facial injury I've had. I mean, you know, probably fallen on my face a few times and tried to do Picasso in the early days but anyway I've been injured everywhere um and it's a crisis it, you know it feels like the worst thing in the world when you're injured it feels like the world's falling down your head but what do you do right you know, well you know you could quit right? or you could say yoga's injured you or you could say the teacher's injured you uh, and all of those are in part true maybe but ultimately it's your own approach and if you just don't quit but look again my experience and the two times that I've really hurt myself is that they've been the best times, actually. They've been the only times I've really opened to growth, open to looking again, open to developing my technique and a different approach to the yoga. One time I met Mark Darby, my teacher. I will always credit in everything I do. And he showed me how to practice. Um, and I was open at the time. In fact, at that time, I wasn't actually injured. I was just so bored of just doing the advanced series in in a way that I just was making shapes, basically. Just making shapes. No balance in the body. No opposing forces. No equanimity. And I thought, you know, well, if this is it, uh, you know, it's better to go to the gym or to just do something like that, you know, rather than this this kind of stretching. It's like a, if I'm using it for that end, you know, if you're using it, you know, if you're using yoga just to get fit, I think there's better things you can do. Let's put it that way, you know. It's definitely imbalanced. It doesn't give you enough strength. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I was just at a crisis point, and I was open. That's what I'm saying. That's like the, the injury, the, the 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 crisis points. They leave you open to learn something new, to seek someone's advice, to try something different. Right? And I think we're so stubborn and resistant to change. We're so afraid of of, of new things. Right? Um, we generally don't allow those differences in, or at least I didn't. Maybe it's the same for you. Until we're really at that point. So, so, so I know it's a bit Pollyanna to say, well, injury is the best thing that could ever happen to me. But it really was, I'd say. Yeah, you know. So if you're suffering injury, just don't see it. You know, yes, if you're going to push and push and and and, uh, and just uh, feel terrible about what's happened and uh, and deny it, deny it by keep pushing at it, you know, then it's going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to you for sure. You're just going to create a worse injury, a worse injury, and then you're going to quit in the end. But if you can just see it as an opportunity, a blessing, a time to look again, a time to reevaluate the way you're doing it, seek some outside advice, look at your attitude. It really, I mean, and a lot of it's emotional. You know, a lot of this is emotional, right? Injuries are emotional. You're in a, you're in a body that's comprised in the flesh, the tissue in the body is it's also emotional, right? So a lot of this is just, you know, it's, it's going to be emotional for you. But if you can just stick with it, don't do what you've been doing. That's the main thing. Don't be doing what you're doing all the every day that's injured you already. You've got to not do that. First, don't do what hurts. Right? Obvious, really obvious. Don't do what hurts you already and wait and look, look again, do something different. Get some, I mean, um, you know, my experience is try different movements, give the area a rest. Yeah, you can't do anything that aggravates it. But you've got still many postures you probably can do. If it's a shoulder, you can do stuff with a lotus. If it's a knee, you can do stuff with the shoulders. Do you know what I mean? There are loads of postures available. Don't have to do the series exactly all the time. Sometimes it's super nice to do the series exactly the way it is, but oftentimes it's not, you know. And most advanced teachers don't do those series exactly the way they are these days anyway. They're just telling you they do. <laughs> In Mysore, yes, you have to. But outside Mysore, you know, use them as a, a scales or a blueprint or a general structure. But most people vary it, I would say. 
anyways that's been my experience i can't speak for everyone but i would say don't worry about not being traditional you've got an injury you've got to not do the sequence in exactly the same way and make some discrepancies make some allowances for yourself you've got loads of postures to do probably you've got postures in the series one and the intermediate series you can do do them enjoy them as i said you've got to paint you've got to paint you've got to use your brush you've got to enjoy it if you're not if you're struggling with something and you're not enjoying it that's the worst and also the mental state that negative state in your mind you know without being too kind of energy healerish that's got to affect your body right you know the mind state has got to affect your healing in the body right so you know if you'll stay positive and do things you can do and instill you know and give that part of the body a rest that you can't move yeah and then get some light weights involved yeah do some lightweights. As I said, yoga isn't balanced. It's never meant to be a physical system of conditioning, right? It wasn't like Krishnamacharya was a gymnastics expert. He drew from many disciplines, yeah, and he tried to incorporate in something which was an indigenous uh, tradition as well, right? The idea of static held movements and concentration and the bandha and the diaphragmatic breathing and the looking places that, you know, it focuses the mind and it orientates the neck, you know, and there's something to do with the spine. If you do all, if you look at the yoga postures and the lotuses, all to, the lotuses to do with your sacrum, right, the lower spine and all the twists you're doing to do with the upper spine. So all of these are spinal manipulations, which is to say is that, you know, I'd say that the yoga is much more modern tantra, modern uh, a modern tantra approach than a, anything to do with Patanjali in his yoga sutras. It's not really a meditation. You know, if you're meditating, you sit on the ground and you just meditate. What you're doing here and moving the body so much cannot be simply meditation it's a, it's a tantric practice it means you're wringing out the spine you're using the nerves of the spine to change the, the, the to purge the emotions out of the body let's say to, to develop the energy in the body to i don't like using the word purify the energy of the body but to get rid of a lot of the emotional baggage all that stuff all the experiences all the held impressions and the and the 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 resents and the uh, the disappointments and the pain of the past stored in the body is is stored around the spine and in using the spine so dramatically in the yoga asana you're doing something emotional you know you're, you're purging this stuff out of the body so that's what it's doing yeah? it's not like a all over body workout so if you treat it like that you're on a bad track really i would say to be honest you know do the yoga for sure obviously do the yoga i'm you know i'm here teaching it but also if you want to do that you know do something physical with your own body do a little bit of gym work you know go to the gym and do half an hour of strength training or get the light dumbbells get some or do some press-ups at home you know i always i go to the gym now a bit but i always do strength training outside my yoga practice because it doesn't give you the strength or maybe for one percent of the people who can do the lift up jump back you know david swenson's etc john scott's richard freeman's they get the strength because they can get the movement but for most of us it doesn't build that strength and the movement of the jump back jump through is so out of our reach is so complex we don't we're not we not we don't have access to that kind of strength building movement so we never build the strength yeah so for a lot of us just basic you know like light weights different movements in the shoulders you know just easier not complex i mean those movements in the ashtanga they're complex joint movements you want a simple joint movement up down left right in out that kind of thing just to build the mobility and strengthen the joints you know strengthen the muscles that surround the joints right because constantly stretching the joints alone constantly stretching the ligaments and the tendons that surround the joints the body is over time weakened right so what you're not seeing yet is how this all bears out when you get over 50 60 and you know many of those practitioners they don't practice anymore they don't talk about it but you know you want to keep strength in the body so if you're just using it on a physical length a physical level if you're looking at it on a physical level i would address that by 
by doing some strengthening. And as I was talking about injury and how to resolve injuries a little bit, trying to keep this halfway practical, I would definitely say you've got to give the area rest, not do what hurts. That's obvious, right? Don't do what keeps hurting it. And strengthen the area. Strengthen the area you're losing light weights, you know, a little bit of get basic small dumbbells or something or just you know look online on the there's so many people putting free stuff on youtube it's great it's great yeah you know, uh, i don't know how to fix a rotator cuff injury let's google that for example or or how to fix a meniscus tear and you know it's like well you know not to say that everyone can but give it a good go you know and then and only then seek medical intervention as a last state of affairs right because you know if you look at how many people survive and function well without pain, asymptomatic without pain, and they've got tears or this or that in the body. It's many, right? Um, and I think the statistics are something like, I think I quoted Bernie Clark here, 40% of people have got asymptomatic tears in the meniscus after the age of 40, 40 or 50%, and they don't feel anything, right? But if you go and get an MRI, they might say quite possibly, well, you've got a tear in your meniscus, you should have surgery. And, and you know, that, you know, I mean, and maybe you need it. Yeah. But maybe that's just going to compromise the joint because every time you have surgery, it puts the joint in jeopardy. You know, the joint will never be the same again. It receives trauma and then usually involves meddling and mo moving around the joint and taking bits out of the joint. And, you know, it's, it's always going to be a risky process. And it's always the last, you know, that is the last resort. And, you know, much of it can be healed by personal practices, right? I remember having a bad shoulder injury around seven, eight years ago. It was around 38. Uh, I really felt like it was a rotator cuff injury. I could. I remember trying to get my hand in my pocket for change, you know, and even that, putting the hand in and out of the pocket, oh, I could feel the shoulder every time I did it, you know? And so in the end, I checked myself in, you know, and... Uh, I went to the doctors and they said, yeah, you definitely got a problem there. You know, you're going to have an MRI, you know, and I was, I would have, at that point, I reckon I would have gone under the knife. Yeah. They said, you know, we could, you know, we do something to seven years later. I wouldn't say it's perfect. I could still have a flare up now and again, but it's, it's workable. Yeah. It's workable. And I'm really glad I didn't have that op yet because what is a, you know, and again, most people, not most people, many, many people have asymptomatic rotator cuff tears. You know, many of these things will never be patched up fully. The body, the, the blood supply around these areas doesn't necessarily allow for ultimate healing, but you can, you can work around many of these things. And when you go under the knife, yeah, you might, definitely you'll get, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get, uh, uh, how do you call it, a, a respite from pain. You know, it might fix pain, a chronic pain, but it, probably isn't going to make the joint perfect again and you may suffer ramifications from the operation so you know what i'm saying is that we you know sometimes it's a possibility but consider all the options as well and give it time give it a little give yourself a little bit of time see if you can you know for example with a meniscus i gave myself a couple of years on each one you know i started when i was 20 i think i had the first meniscus tear pretty soon after it, in 2021 you know gave myself a year wasn't fixing took the operation also remember i'm young here so they worked you know so i wouldn't have it now you know 45 you say like you don't heal the same way right but anyways gave myself some time you know people say well they can i fix my meniscus through just doing uh, squats or you know low squats sitting in vajrasana it's possible i you know i anything a uh, body is still a miracle i mean when people say the anatomy just functions one way you know it's not true the the no one really knows. Yeah? And, and I think any, I mean, look at Bernie Clark. On the podcast, if you listen to his podcast, he will say, well, no one really knows how it all works, you know. 
And then that's someone who, I mean, if you read the books, I mean, he's a, he could do surgery on the body. He's an, an anatomical expert, right? What, what he knows about the body, I mean, if he, you know, doesn't need to be known anything else, you know? So, uh, it, you know, we never really know. So give it time, try and fix it yourself. Get massage. I think massage is fantastic with oil. Yeah, use inner like take oils internally. That helps as well. Uh, get some acupuncture. That can help. You know, um, I hesitate to say it for those uh, uh, staunch um, scientists out there. Homeopathy can help for some people. You know, I've had good effects with homeopathy as well. Uh, you know, there are many things that can help, and and, and exercises yeah? and rest and exercise. Uh, swimming you know things that are just light impact you know and then come back to it in a year and look again but i mean there's no no reason why you can't get an mri or get you know get a medical opinion as well but then compare it to your own experience to other people's ideas yeah and just weigh it up all together it's nothing wrong with having as much information on the table as possible and then you can make your decision so what am i going to say here to wrap it up well injury is not the worst thing in the world um, it's not the practice that injures you, but we have to adapt. We have to make adaptations to the practice and realize this practice is, isn't is for the normal body. And realize that the practice anatomically isn't for many bodies, right? Literally, literally, your your, your physical bones are stopping you doing certain things without injury. Not, not everyone, but it might be you. You might not, but it might be. So just treat your body gently. And if it's not moving, don't pull at it. Yeah? One teacher used to say, you should be able to do lotus without picking the legs up and putting them in there. That, that's, how, that's how simple the feelings and the posture should be. That's how easy and fluid they should be. Right? I, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say if you're yanking at the, the, something to, to get it there, that's too much. Yeah? The posture should flow. I think Shandor Remete said on the podcast to me, posture should, should flow, next posture like a glass, uh, a water tipped out of glass. They should flow that easily. Well, you know, I'm sure that isn't our experience, but you know you know what I mean. And if there's a posture, your next posture that isn't flowing, it's not pushing against that locked door that helps. It's often going back and you've dropped the key somewhere else, back behind you. Yeah, Because if you push against the locked door, maybe you'll get through, but you'll probably take the hinges off as well and have to repair the whole door, right? So often the key is looking behind you and what you're not doing, other areas of the practice that you've already done already that will help you with the next posture, not just pushing against the locked door. And we tend to do that. So don't be afraid to modify things, to make them applicable to you. You're still a traditional Ashtangi, if you like that term. <laughs> I don't really like Ashtangi as a term. But, you know, you're still doing traditional Ashtanga. You know, what is traditional? Krishnamachari innovated this sequence anyway, right? You're using the breath, Bandha Drishtiya, so you're using the inner technique. So you're still using that traditional Ashtanga technique. Don't worry about how the postures look. Seek a feeling in your body. And that's where you'll really be content with your postures and your practice. And, uh... Yeah, if you do incorporate, if you do incorporate, if you do encounter injury, then, uh, you know, don't seek it as a disaster. Don't see it as a disaster. Just seek opinions, seek different uh, ideas and uh, and be open to trying different things. But then don't, don't push at something just because you've been injured. You've got to rest that area, but you've also got to strengthen that area, right? So I think you've probably heard enough of me from me today. And uh Come to the conference. You're going to really love it. It's a it's a great conference. I think it's in a couple of weeks in the mid-February. Sign up, even if you can't join uh, in person. Look, don't bug me about that. Just uh, 
sign up and you can get the video on you know you'll get the video sent to you as soon as it's done anyway so even if you can't come don't need to tell me that your dog's going to the vet or whatever just sign up and uh, and you'll get the video sent to you anyway and uh, yeah it promises to be a fantastic talk and i'm eager to learn as well you know because you know everyone's got little tweaks and little injuries in the body you know me included so uh, we could always learn and keep and keep developing but it's not a setback it doesn't have to be looked at a setback or or a blame you haven't done anything wrong it's just the way the body is we're all unaligned all imbalanced trying to be more balanced and harmonious with ourselves and with the outside world with life in general right so in doing so we're inevitably going to encounter some setbacks right anyway it's enough for me for now hope you enjoyed this and hope you sign up for that sign up for that conference you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it right and uh yeah we'll be back next week with a regular guest and a regular podcast so take care and i'll see you soon <music>